We are in the beginning of Psalms again, and obviously Psalm 48 is not the beginning, the beginning of Psalms. We've been doing this as songs for summer and Psalms for summer for, I think this is our fifth summer now, and so uh, we've made it through 48 of the Psalms, and or after this Sunday, we will have made it through 48 of the Psalms, and we intend to continue until we get through all 150 of them. And so you can see that we're about a third of the way through. But one of the things that I like about doing Psalms for Summer is that it changes the pace. Because we finished our Romans series, and we're going through, and, and Paul just lays things out real clearly real linearly, and he makes his case and his arguments and he reasons through it so that we can be really clear. And sometimes that really connects with people, that you just go, wow, I can't, I have struggled with this and Paul just lays it out so clearly and it it now makes sense and helps me. And you you can just rejoice in that. But other times you feel like, "I, I really want to be touched. I really want to be touched in my soul. I really want to be touched in my heart, in my feelings, in my emotions. I want, want to be drawn in. And that's what the Psalms does. It's this, this poetry that, that expresses God's heart for His people. And some of the times in the Psalms, we are excited because it's just energizing and we rejoice. And sometimes we're moved with, with compassion and, and other times it just expresses the frustration, but there's all kinds of emotion that goes with it. And so that's what I want to, to see as we look at this today, that we're going to be uh, looking at the, the different ways that God connects with us and reveals himself, and we resonate with that sort of on an emotional level, right? That's, that's why we sing them. We have the, the privilege of singing through uh, Psalm 48 this morning. Because when we sing, when we, when we hear music, it connects with us in a different way. Have you ever heard a song uh, that you haven't heard for a while and you just immediately go back to that place where you heard that song before or where that song was familiar? Now, there are times when I will be sitting in a restaurant and Billy Joel will come on and I will just, whoa, Blast from the past, I see myself as like eight years old in the living room, sitting in the comfy chair and hearing my mom in the kitchen with Billy Joel going and just, whoa, how did that happen? How did that memory just pop up like that? Or songs from, uh, I, I walk through Fred Meyer and I hear a song come on and I went, oh no. This is a high school song for me. Fred Meyer is now trying to reach me. I always walked through Fred Meyer and went, wow, they play all these old songs. And now they're playing stuff from my high school because they're old songs for me that remind me of being at that time, at that stage, those friends, those, those experiences. And these psalms do the same thing. In fact, in today's psalm, he's trying to help them connect with a particular place. And just like those songs take you to that place that in your mind you remember that thing, sometimes you just walk through that place and you remember 
You remember what it was like. Some, sometimes you walk back through your old neighborhood or through uh, the place where you grew up, back to the school where you went to, to school or to a park that you haven't been to for several years. You, you, you just go back and you remember all of the stuff that happened there. The people that you were connected with and the, the things that were there. And, and what, what the psalmist is doing here is he's going to help us to connect with a particular place so that he can elicit specific memories for us. Okay? So Psalm 48. This is a song. A psalm of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. He he connects us right away with uh, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. In the city of our God. In Jerusalem, in, in the place where the temple was, that this was the place that God's presence resided. And he's saying, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, which is beautiful in elevation, it's the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. That place, that's where he's connecting us to. Now, I've, I've had the privilege of going to Jerusalem and walking around Jerusalem. And um, just as a place, meh. I mean, it's fine. But um, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation... Guys, it, it's just not that big of a mountain. You can walk from the bottom to the top and it, you didn't break a sweat. It took you maybe 20 minutes if you were looking around. And it's not a huge elevation gain. And that's on the steep side. The other side... You're not really sure if it's a hill or not until you come over it and you look down and go, oh yeah, I guess it's a pretty big hill. But no, this is the great mountain. Mount Zion, the place of God's presence, the place where the temple was. Jerusalem resides on this mountain. This is the greatest of mountains. The one in the far north. Not really that far north, but... He's using this language, this hyperbolic language, to describe the place. It describes how much affection he has for this place, how significant, how important it is. Sometimes I, I uh, think back to my childhood and um, we had um, the woods behind my house. My, because of Winnie the Pooh, my parents referred to it as the hundred-acre wood. 
So the hundred acre woods and, and it was the woods behind my house and I would go um, out the back door and across the patio and into the woods and be playing in the woods. We lived at the end of a cul-de-sac on a lot. I bet were I to look at it now, it's like five steps across the woods from the patio to the back fence. But in my mind, this was a forest. This was Sherwood Forest, you know, with the, with the bows and arrows and playing back there, back in the woods. And my mom would have to call me as I was out playing in the woods because I was in the back corner climbing the tree in the back in the woods because it was in my mind this great big place. And he's expressing Jerusalem in those kinds of terms. This is that great place. But it's not actually great because of its physical characteristics, even though he's using that language to elicit a response in it. It's, it's, he's using this language because the great and awesome God lives there. And so, yeah, there are other mountains that are taller. There are more other mountains that are norther than this one. But this is the one that's in the far north. This is the great mountain that is beautiful in elevation because this is the city of the great king. This is the city of the great king. This is the city that, that God said, come and I will be your God here. My presence will be here among you. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, it is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. God has made himself known as a fortress in that place. And I walked around Jerusalem and I looked at it and I thought, you know what? Even a long time ago, I'm not sure it would be that hard to conquer this place. They have a wall that goes around it and protects it. And it's on the top of a hill that would make it more difficult. But I don't think it would actually be that hard to conquer this place. Because physically, it's just not that imposing. Except that God has made Himself known as a fortress. God has made Himself known as the fortress. That is the important thing to remember. Because as you walk around, you might be tempted to think that this place isn't that secure, but the psalmist is going, no, no, it's very secure. It's very secure. This is the place where God is. And He has made Himself known as a fortress. He has made Himself known as the protector of Jerusalem. Though other places may fall, Jerusalem won't fall because God is here as its protector. This was probably written sometime after uh, King Solomon, right? So, so King David had established this city. King Solomon had built the great temple there. And sometime after that and before the fall of Jerusalem, which would eventually happen after God's people turned away from Him and rejected Him and things. But, but in between there, while it's at its height, God is its protector. 
and no one can conquer it. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. God is the one who protects this place and defends it. For behold, it says in verse 4, Behold, the kings assembled and they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there. Anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind you scattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. These these people would have actually seen that. The enemies coming up right maybe even to the very gates. And seeing God defend them and protect them. And you'll notice that there are two responses to God's presence in this place. The, the response of His people is to rejoice and to celebrate because God has made Himself known as the protector and there is terror and fear on the part of the enemies. They come and then they fear and they run away because God is here. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Because God has scattered them. And we know. It's not because of the, the, the um, visual of the city itself. It's because of God's presence. That's why. That's why they're terrified. That's why they run away. Because God will establish it forever. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah says, It's going to come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways, that we may walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation and neither shall they learn war anymore. Isaiah says this is what's going to come. This is the picture of what's going to come. Is that this place is going to be established as the place in all the earth where the nations will come and it will be peaceful because of God's presence there. God is going to reign as the great king. So that in Psalm 48, it's talking about the Lord will establish this forever. He's going to establish it forever. There's a permanence here. It will forever reign that, that God is the protector in this place. And then it says, Selah. Just pause. Just pause and reflect on that. What is your protector? What is your defense? What are you rejoicing in? What are you taking comfort in? 
What hope do you have for being established forever? It's God, right? It's not our houses. It's not our security systems. It's not our finances. It's God. There are times that we forget that. There are times that that we don't think about that. And the reason that we have songs like this is to take us back so that we can remember, oh yeah, oh yeah, my hope is in God. God is my protector. Because as I look around at my puny defenses, I feel very vulnerable. Because I don't live on a great and glorious mountain. I don't have great citadels and walls protecting me. I don't have a lot of security except in my God. Because this great God, the one who is establishing Jerusalem, the one who has shown himself to be the defender, he's the same one that is defending you. He's the same one that is securing you, caring for you. You are established and secure because of your great God who is with you. Then he goes on. Verse 9. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. we've, We've stopped and stood in the midst of the temple, they say, and thought about your steadfast love. Just stop and think about God's steadfast love. The love that keeps going. The love that that doesn't stop. It's just always faithfully there. That steadfast, loyal love of God that's with you. And they are standing in on the Mount of, of Zion, in Jerusalem, in the middle of the city, in the temple, this place of God's presence, and they're remembering the love of God. They're remembering the love of God, and they're remembering that His right hand is filled with righteousness. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth, your right hand is filled with righteousness. And as I think about those two things, that in the one hand He has love, and in the other hand He has righteousness, and together they come together in Jerusalem, in that temple, in the place of God's presence. Because those who have sinned and turned away from God cannot stand in His presence. Unless they're in the temple. This place of sacrifice, this place of testimony, this place where we, we come in and say, God, I know that your presence resides here and I am becoming holy as I enter your presence through sacrifice so that I might be with you in your place where you have said you will be with me. In fact, in Leviticus 
uh, chapter 26, God is detailing for his people as they're leaving Egypt and preparing to go to this land, even before they've established Jerusalem and the temple there. He's expressing to them what it will look like when they get there. And it says in in, uh, Leviticus 26, verse 11, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. That's generous, isn't it? I, I will live with you and not hate you. Not find you disgusting. I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. What a great thing. What a great thing. There are times when I'll go out and I'll work in the yard... And I will come inside, and my wife will love me and not abhor me. She requests that I take a shower, but she does not abhor me. And that's what's happening here with God. God is saying, look it, you were disgusting. I shouldn't even let you in my temple. In my place of presence, where you are stinking up the place. But... I am going to make you clean. I am going to make you clean and I will not abhor you. And I will walk among you and I will be your God and you will be my people. And he still does this. He still does this. He says, I love you and I will walk with you and I will not be disgusted by your presence. I will not be disgusted by your presence because I'm going to remove your sin and make you righteous. I want you to remember that I am both righteous and loving. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, as we're standing in the midst of the temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches all the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Lord, we know that you are set apart, sacred and holy and righteous. And yet you have loved us and said that we are your people and you are our God. And in this place, in this temple, this beautiful place, this most important place in all the earth, that spiritually is the highest place in all the earth because of the presence of God which accepts and loves and welcomes us in and makes us righteous, God, in this place we have meditated on your character and we praise and worship you. In fact, that praise is going to go out into all the earth. So let Mount Zion be glad, it says in verse 11. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Which side of the judgment do you have to be on in order to rejoice in them? The good side, right? You want to be on the good side of the judgments. We find ourselves deserving to be on the wrong side of the judgments. The, the, the side that is not appealing. The side that we wouldn't normally rejoice in. But we do rejoice because God has made us righteous. And so we rejoice in those judgments. Did anybody do anything wrong this week? 
some people are a lot more honest than others. You did something wrong this week that that uh, you don't really want people to know about or that you don't want people to acknowledge or to judge you on that thing? Could you judge me on something else instead? I, I, I really messed up on that one. And so uh, don't judge me on that one, but judge me on the other things. How can we get to a place where we would rejoice in the judgments of God over all of it. We have to be forgiven of that, right? We have to find those things that we did wrong, that we messed up, and be forgiven of that so that we can rejoice in it. Here's what I think. I think very often we say, I know that I'm forgiven for all my sins, but yet we loathe the judgment. We're afraid of the judgment. Because even though I have said, yep, I believe that I'm forgiven, I don't in my heart feel and believe it. Like when you take the test and you are sure you bombed. You are confident. You failed that test. You are dreading and loathing getting the answers back and getting the test back because you just know, I totally messed this one up. And it is not, I just don't even want to see the results. Can we pretend that didn't happen? Can I get a redo? Can I get a do-over? And then there are those other times where uh, you studied and prepared and you thought this was going to be a really hard test and you walked in and you started looking at the questions and you went, what? I way over-prepared for this. This is so easy. And you just start writing down answers as fast as you can. And you're just like, whoa, that was a test. I took that test. I did awesome on that test. And you're just like sitting in your chair. The teacher's going to come around and hand out the, the tests. And the one person's going, oh, I don't even want to see it. I just don't even want to see it. And the other person is going, yeah, I know what. I aced this test. And you get the, yes, you see it. I did it. I aced this test. And the responses are so different because of what you expect the verdict to be. And what we are being told here is, yes, we know you didn't prepare well for this test. Yes, we know you got questions wrong. But here's the good news. You had a partner. And your partner got all the questions right. And as long as you say, I'm their partner, and he claims you as his partner then we're going to take the right answers and get rid of all the wrong answers. So even if you got all the answers wrong and you failed the whole test, you get to claim his. It's not cheating. You didn't copy his paper. You were partners. Jesus looked at us and said, you need a buddy. Because you are not going to pass this test. And some of us went, you're right. And some of us thought, you know, I probably can do it. And then we saw the test and went, yo, no, you're right. 
and now. You know when you get the smartest kid in the class as your friend, and the smartest kid in the class worked on that project with you? And so, even though you know your part was terrible, you're still waiting for that t- the test results to come back, and you're just like doing the dance along with your partner. Because you know, I didn't do anything, but my partner got it all right. I have the best partner in the whole world. Guess what? That's who Jesus is. He's the best partner in the whole world. So that when those judgments are coming, we rejoice. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let this place of God's presence where we have come into the temple by sacrifice, let that place be glad and let us rejoice because the judgments are coming and we are on the right side of those judgments. We are excited about those judgments that are coming because we know they are just. They are just and they are gracious because His righteousness and His love go hand in hand for His people. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. The psalmist is saying, walk around so that you can remember. You know those everyday things? You do it every day. You go in, you go out, you go in, you go out, you go in, you go out. And you forget to stop and remember. Because it's just every day. For like the first three years I lived in my house... I just would drive up to my house and walk in and go, how did we get this house? God is so gracious. How did we get this house? We used to live in this community and walk and go to this park and talk about, wouldn't this be a nice neighborhood to live in? Wouldn't it be awesome to live in that house? And five years later, we owned that house. How did that happen? Somehow God held that house for us. We, he blessed us with that house. And so I would sit in the living room and just look around and go, isn't God good? How did we get this house? And I find that we've been there for a little bit longer now. And I just go, ugh. This house is a mess. And all of these projects that need to be done in this house. And it's just the everyday stuff. And I've forgotten. Unless I'm reminded to stop and look around and say, how did you get this house again? Oh yeah. God gave me this house. That's why we live here. That's why we live in this place. It's because God blessed us. And so the psalmist is is singing this song and saying, look, let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. And now walk around Zion. Walk around Jerusalem. Walk around this temple mount. And look and observe. 
Because here are people that would go in and out every day. They lived here or they lived nearby. They would go back and forth all the time. And it was just the city. It was the place where they, they bought stuff and sold stuff. It was just the place that they lived. They had gotten accustomed to it. And he's saying, look, go around, walk around the walls and, and, and count the citadels and think about the things that have happened here. You know, when I went to Jerusalem, that's exactly what I did. Because as a tourist, that's what you do. You walk around and you look at stuff. And they have nice signs that say, this, was built in, this wall was built at this time. And this is where this happened, and this is where that happened. And we had a guide who was walking through and going, okay, this is the, the pool of uh, Bethsaida. This is where uh, that person was waiting to be helped into the water when the, the Holy Spirit would stir the water and nobody would help them in. And Jesus healed them. And you're standing there going, this is that place? Well, And this is the Temple Mount, and here are the steps of Solomon's portico where Jesus was teaching at this point. This is that place? I'm standing in that place? And you just start walking around and you go through Hezekiah's tunnel and you start hearing about uh, how this tunnel was built and dug out so that people could uh, come and go without the enemies that were attacking Jerusalem knowing about it so that they would be protected and they could have water. And you're going, this is that place? Do you know how much history there is in Jerusalem? A lot of the things that we were looking at when we were there were things that Jesus had done there. That hadn't even, even happened yet. He didn't even know how awesome Jerusalem was about to become. He knew how great it had already been. He knew about all of the promises. He knew about how the temple was being built there and how the temple was right there, the presence of God. But he didn't know. He didn't know that someday Jesus was going to come and the presence of God was going to walk in in the flesh. That at some point, God was going to make a sacrifice in that place. That He would not withhold His Son, His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him would have eternal life. That Jesus was going to do that there in Jerusalem, so that all of the nations could flood to the presence of God through Jesus that had taken place in that place. The sacrifice took place there. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers and consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels. So that you may tell the next generation that this is our God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Walk around and look at it and remember. Deuteronomy 6 uh, verse 4 says the same thing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them on a, as a sign on your hand, and they shall be on, as the frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your gates. It, it, this should be something that we're just talking about all the time. And, and he's reminding us through this song, through this psalm, that this is what we should do. We should walk around and remember the things that God has done and then pass them on to the next generation. 
You can do the same thing. You can walk through the city and go, this is what's happened here and this is what's happened there. You can walk through your house and go, remember that time. You can pull out the, the photo albums or the Facebook feed or however it is that you do pictures these days and take the next generation and go through the pictures and say, remember this time? Remember this time? Remember this time? And then you can tell them the stories about stuff that happened before they were born. And stuff that happened in your generation and in the previous generation. And you can tell them about God's faithfulness. And the reason that we talk about God's faithfulness to this generation and the previous generation and the generation before that, all the way back to Jesus and before Jesus to His people in Israel, the reason that we talk about all of the past of that is because it assures us of God's present faithful love. And it reminds us that that love is going to continue forever. That you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. And in Revelation 21, starting in verse 1, it begins to describe this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw that holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for this is, these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is finished. It's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly and faithless, the detestable, for murderers and sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. There are two responses to our great God. There are those who are his enemies and there are those who have said, that is my Savior, Jesus. And for those who have claimed that is my Savior Jesus, we have this hope of forevermore. This hope that, that He will come again. And so on the first Sunday of every month, we celebrate communion together to remind ourselves of that. To remind ourselves of God's faithful love, how greatly He has loved us. That He sent His Son to die in our place on the cross. And that because He has done that, we have a forever hope. That He will never leave us or forsake us. And that we will be with Him forevermore. And so I would encourage you this morning, if you believe that Jesus is your Savior, I would encourage you, we have a, um, a table here and a table in the back. And I would encourage you to come and, and get the bread and the cup and bring it back to your seat. 
And after the next song, I'll come back up and we will all uh, take it together as a way of remembering Jesus' former sacrifice and his return which is to come. Let's pray. Our Father, how great and awesome is your name in this place and in all the earth. Lord, we ask that you would help us to remember. That you would help us to remember as we walk through the physical spaces of our lives about your faithfulness and about the great things that you have done. Father, we pray that you would help us to remember as we read through the scriptures about things that you have done in places that we've never seen or been before. Lord, we pray that you would remind us that you will continue to be faithful now and forevermore. And Father, as we rejoice together and as we celebrate communion together, we know that it is because of Jesus that we can delight in your righteousness and in your judgments because you have loved us so much. And so we rejoice in that now together. In Jesus' name, amen.